Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis of the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, Adrian Rabio's agent has blasted PSG in an astonishing interview. It's also his mum, so perhaps her fury is understandable. With this in mind, we take a look at the phenomenon of parental agents and assess how it affects the game. And Paul Pogba has appeared to issue an old-fashioned come-and-get-me plea to Real Madrid. But is a move to the Spanish giants likely, given the faith Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has given to his midfield maverick? We're going to start today with a little look at parents as agents of top-level footballers. Uh, Adrian Rabio, who is currently in dispute with PSG, has his mother as his agent, and she's come out with some fairly astonishing quotes. Um, She said, My son is a prisoner at PSG. The only thing he has asked is to complete his contract and that it is respected. They find him for not travelling to Qatar when his grandmother died and his father was dying. He is a hostage. She also hinted that Neymar, and this is not going to be the first time you've heard this, is not held to quite the same standards as the rest of the people at the club when she said, at PSG, they fine players for arriving six minutes late to a team meeting and others, while injured, are allowed to travel around the world and to go to carnivals. So, guys, this is an increasingly... um, difficult situation for clubs to deal with. There are a number of top players that have a parent as an agent. I suppose the question is, how difficult is that for clubs to deal with? And is there a conflict of interest for that parent with wanting the best for their son or daughter and getting the best possible deal for themselves? There's no conflict of interest in terms of the the parent um, because the parent's only the agent because uh, as a result of the fact that they want to be paid to commission, that an agent would be paid. Um, What's become increasingly uh, more the case with um, negotiations in player transfers, and it doesn't just apply to players like Rabiot, because um, it's been the case now for some, a good 15, maybe years or more, yeah, for instance, um, Leo Messi's dad has taken care of his business um, transactions in name, certainly. Uh, Neymar has been the same. And it's certainly the case that um, when a, an elite player in specifically uh, is being paid or is the subject of a huge transfer um, with regards to both the fee and the salary, uh, contract and commission, that the named representative of the player will be their father or mother or brother, etc. Um, with Adrian Rabio, what I find 
uh, to be quite amusing in some ways is that he got a 23-year-old international footballer and his mum is going into battle for him uh, in the media because these, these, um, these quotes, this was an interview that she gave to the keep with regards to what uh, Rabiot's current situation is at PSG. Um, other parent-stroke agents don't tend to be quite so high-profile in the media, although it certainly has been the case in the past when um, the representative stroke rep, um, family member uh, is interviewed in the media, whether it be radio, broadcast, uh, television, or indeed print or um, internet. So um, I think the conflict of interest, as far as the uh, situation is concerned, does come with the club, because what the are doing is not just signing a player, but they're adopting the parent in all sort of manner of ways as well. So they have to keep the parent happy in order that their player is happy. And that causes difficulties because not only is the parent stroke family member um, representing the business side of things, but it's also most likely to be the biggest influence in that player's decision-making process. Uh, and and that being the case, can easily be swayed, the player that is, into deciding whether he stays or leaves or whatever. And we've seen from the astronomical fees that um, Neymar's father was paid by Barcelona for taking him there when he moved from Brazil, and also um, payments to Leo Messi's father in contract negotiations with Barcelona, that um, the payments made to the representative stroke parent um, have a massive influence on what the player does next. Um, and it's not just mums and dads, is it, Duncan? There's some other very interesting examples of uh, people being involved in players' businesses. Yeah, one of my favourites is, um, is Dani Alves, who is represented by um, Ginora Santana, who happens to be his ex-wife, um, and who has done actually a fantastic job, but... Um, in terms of getting him a succession of, of uh, great deals at Juventus and particularly at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, I think Paris Saint-Germain is the most amusing of all because that deal um, famously was about to sign for Manchester City. Uh, Manchester City being so confident of him coming to the club that their press department had um, started briefing local journalists as to the exact day um, he would be presented uh, to the media the following week. Um, and uh, on Saturday before he was due to join up with Manchester City, um, he elected to join Paris Saint-Germain, having spent his wedding day, um, a secret wedding he was holding uh, in Ibiza uh, with his second wife, um, negotiating with Paris Saint-Germain, who had come in and, and, um, and gazumped that deal at the last minute. So um, not only was he... Was he represented by his ex-wife? His ex-wife was doing the deal um, during uh, his, his wedding to his second wife. You could not um, make this up. No, you couldn't. And um, uh, having talked to some of the people involved in it, um, they were they were equally amused and bemused by the, the goings on that day. Um, and to be, uh, fair, to be fair, Duncan, as, as a man who's been divorced myself. I'd love to put my ex-wife to work to try and get some of the money back. <laughs> and they obviously have a very strong relationship, that, um, so that there, there's not. Uh, it, it works well for both parties in this case. And um, I believe Santana has been involved in the ownership of a of a football club in 
Spain, uh, which I think is, has been part funded by Danny's money. money. Um, the agency is not purely Danny Alves. They've got a range of players over there. Um, so it, it's an interesting setup, and and you know, intriguingly, Neymar was in, intimately involved in that deal because Neymar um, insisted. Uh, as a condition of going to Paris Saint-Germain, that Danny Alves come along with him. So um, he helped not only convince Danny to come, but he also ensured that PSG um, paid uh, the money required to get him to step out of a deal um, that infuriated um, Pep Guardiola because he'd been... Um, he was going to Manchester City on Pep Guardiola's express instruction. Uh, Guardiola wanted him... Uh, to kind of lead the team in the Champions League because he, he wanted the experience Danny had as well as his um, great technical ability and football ability because he thought it would make a difference to um, what was essentially a very ex inexperienced uh, squad in terms of winning at the top level of European football. Um, and I'm told that the, the pair haven't spoke to each other since, uh, despite the close friendship. And I, th I think if you watch... Um, our colleague Graham Hunter's uh, a great documentary in Barcelona. Um, some of the best uh, sections of Dani Alves talking about his relationship with Guardiola. Um, how he'd jump, jump out of the Camp Nou um, stands um, if Pep had told him to do that. Um, but when it comes to personal communication, I understand there's not been any since he decided to join. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain. And just a little bit on that, since we're talking about Danny, uh, there was a story this week that he's um, agreed to stay at, um, agreed a contract to stay at Paris um, for another year. That's not quite true. Um, they are, I'm told, close to an agreement, but there'll be a meeting next week um, to try and finalise it. It will be, if he agrees to stay, it will be for a, for a two-year contract with the first year guaranteed and the second based on options. And a, an interesting kind of... He's, he has offers from uh, Major League Soccer um, and a big club in Brazil, also another Champions League site. But interestingly, his, his thinking in terms of staying with PSG is um, to achieve what he came to the club for, which is to get them to a Champions League final. Um, every club he's played for in Europe, he's either won the Champions League or been to a Champions League final with them. Uh, and he wants to be able to do the same with Paris Saint-Germain and continue at the top level of the game because his overriding target is to play the next World Cup for Brazil, um, having missed out on the Russian World Cup because of injury. We should say as well, Johnny, that um, the relationship between a player, his agent let's just say not his parent at this moment in time, but the parents as well. It's formed a very early um, part of his career because, um, first of all, there are rules about representation um, and players not being allowed to have agents until they sign their first professional contract officially. But, of course, these things can always be done unofficially. And there is a culture um, whereby agents will pay the parents of a player up front in order that they get to represent them officially and then guarantee a percentage of any commission from transfers or contracts to the parents as well um, for the duration of the contract between the agent 
or the agency and the parents. And um, this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, I have uh, spoken to many, many um, agents who have been in this situation before. One that comes to mind specifically is uh, a teenage player in the Premier League around 15 years ago, so that we're going back quite a long way now, um, who had no agent and um, decided to interview five of England's top agencies uh, with a view to employing one of them um, as his agent because he was a very um, big potential target for, for clubs and looked like having a stellar career, which indeed he did go on to have to a certain degree. Uh, those agents were quite surprised when they went into the room because they thought they'd be meeting the player um, and possibly, you know, a couple of other people. And in fact, it was only the player's mother who was present um, for that that meeting. And the first thing that the mother did was take out a um, photo scan of a plot of land in the Caribbean and say, uh, first of all, if you before we even start, if you want to represent my son, you must buy this plot of land and build me a house on that plot. Then we can start to talk about details of the contract he may have with your particular business. Um, and for I know for a fact two of the agents of the three walked out after that point, but one did sign up to it. So there you go. That's how things work. It is. I mean, it's in, it's incredibly widespread in football, and just to underline the two biggest transfers of all time in terms of transfer fee: um, Neymar to Paris Saint Germain, and Kylian Mbappe to um, from AS Monaco to Paris Saint Germain. In both cases, the player was represented by their father. Um, the and and the the fee the obviously the commission on that transfer is a substantial amount of money in both cases and part of the reason for this representation is so that the player um, or the player's family can retain more of the value from a transfer um, by having those commissions or the majority of those commissions go to them and their family. Um, in Neymar's case it was a particularly, uh, the commissions involved were particularly large because Neymar's father, um, who um, Johnny always gets worried about his nickname because his, his nickname is Nepai, um, <laughs> so he refers to himself, um, but uh, became known around this time in Barcelona as Nepam. Um, Neymar's father waited until a um, trigger. Do we, do we love the smell of Nepam in the morning? That's the question, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Barcelona don't, and, and Real Madrid have had their problems with it in the past. <laughs> um, but he waited until a, a, a loyalty uh, clause had been triggered in the previous contract, long-term contract that, that Neymar had um, signed uh, with Barcelona, and that his son was due a loyalty bonus from Barcelona, and he himself was paid a 26 million euro commission on getting his son to sign that long-term and inverted commas extension. Um, and the, the, the very next day, they um, formally announced their intention to join Paris Saint-Germain and had Paris Saint-Germain announce their intention to buy him out of the contract. So Nepai, Nepam, made 26 million from Barcelona 
immediately uh, on the day that he agreed for his son to move to Paris Saint-Germain. And you can imagine what the commission was from the Paris Saint-Germain end to, um, to the father for that deal. Um, so uh, another um, a recent example of, uh, of a father being involved in a deal um, with an English club would be Brahim Diaz. Um, again, uh, elected not to use a formal agent um, on that deal and uh, was very careful in uh, assessing the value of his son, um, running down the time on his Manchester City contract um, to secure the best offer in terms of salary, conditions, placement um, at the Suter clubs, and in his case, moved to Real Madrid. Um, so, I mean, Johnny's question about the difficulties of it, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to how professional um, the representatives are, but uh, there's there sometimes there can be no no great distinction about the professionalism of um, a family um, agent uh, representing the player and uh, and one of the you know the, the more traditional agencies. And the point Ian raises about traditional agencies paying to represent players is something something I think a lot of people are not aware of in football. But there's now there's basically a, almost a standard pricing system um, for what an agent expects to have to pay to recruit, for example, a championship player to their stable and sign a contract with that championship player. Um, so they, they expect to have to pay the player up front a certain amount of money um, to be represented by them in the expectation that down the line they'll make that money back from commissions from the club for, on new contracts or transfers. Um, so it's the, the, the kind of traditional idea of, of agency and uh, representation in football has been turned on its head in, in many ways um, across the last decade or so um, as it's turned into more of a business and as people have... have um, looked at ways of getting around uh, transfer rules and rules on agents um, by using family members, for example, or making payments to family members um, for underage players um, when they're not supposed to do it, which, have, which of course is one of the reasons why Manchester City um, are under investigation by FIFA at the moment and are likely to uh, receive a transfer ban. And one other quick story about... Um which does prove that Napalm is indeed a very explosive agent, um, that in 2012 uh, his, he had agreed a deal with Real Madrid President Florentino Perez for his son to join Real Madrid. Um, but he was due to join in 2013 from Santos, where he was playing in Brazil. Uh, but Florentino decided to bring that forward a year and infamously made a call to Napalm uh, and said... Uh, forget the agreement we had, um, he has to come now, to which um, Neymar's dad said, no, um, we agreed he would stay in, San in Brazil at Santos for another year, he's not ready to come, um, therefore you're going to have to wait, to which Perez replied, um, don't you know who I am? Uh, you can't treat me this way. Uh, the opportunity to join Real Madrid comes once in a lifetime, so either he comes now or he doesn't come at all. To which Napalm replied in very colourful language and said, fine, we'll go to Barcelona then. And uh, as Duncan uh, will attest, that's, um, he's, Florentino Perez has spent the last eight years trying to make up for that mistake. 
and indeed might try and uh, make up for it this summer. One of the big talking points of the last couple of days has been Paul Pogba and his comments in a press conference when he said, I have always said that Real Madrid is a dream for every player, even more so now that Zidane is there. He also said, it's a dream for every child and every footballer. For the moment, I am in Manchester, but later on, we do not know what the future will tell us. I think Paul's making it quite clear where he sees himself uh, at uh, some point in the future, guys. Um, is he potentially on his way to Real Madrid as part of this Zinedine Zidane summer revolution, do you think? So one of the more curious things about that quote, Johnny, is that um, five months before um, he gave an interview to English media, pledging his allegiance to Manchester United because Solskjaer was definitely the, the manager who has a great relationship with him and his players, who should be given the chance to uh, take Manchester United on, and that he, how happy he was um, at Old Trafford. And this is a kind of ironic, but um, we used to call it in tabloids, come and get me plea to Real Madrid, um, when he then spoke to the French media. Um, some minutes after the first interview he gave. With Pogba, I, I think it's a pipe dream because uh, what Madrid are aiming for this season is, as we've spoken about on the on the podcast, is Neymar as a, as a top target, Aiden Hazard as a secondary one, and then they have all sorts of um, ideas around Dav De Gea. And in fact, um, I did a little um, bit of research and I um, managed to find that Real Madrid have linked with 27 different players in the last three weeks alone um, with regards to their summer uh, signing targets. They include um, Aiden Hazard, as we've mentioned, and Christian Eriksen. Um, also, they've been linked with David De Gea, we would know that as well. Harry Kane, Ryan Sterling, Moynihan Sun. So it's, it's typically... Um, the easy thing to do is to look at one of the biggest clubs in the world and their transfer budget in the summer and try to work out which kind of players they need and will want to recruit. Now, as far as the media is concerned, they're not that much kind of behind or different from Real Madrid's scouting department themselves because when you're a club like Madrid and you have the, the resources they have, then you can literally target any player in the world that you like which is why Pogba says things like as every player's dream to, to play for Real Madrid actually recruiting those players is a lot more complicated and difficult than the player saying they want to play for Madrid or indeed for Madrid to actually go out after the player um, as Duncan explained with the um, the low ball policy in terms of the um, the bids for Aiden Hazard so far uh, regarding his move to potential move to Real Madrid this summer so it's um it's a little bit of a cliche uh, with regards to what Pogba said. But at the same time, there is truth there as well. What I don't see is, is Pogba being a major target for Madrid this summer, given the midfield they already have. I don't think Chris or Modric are anywhere you know, beyond their peak just yet. And I think the recruitment has to be, um, in, first of all, to replace Cristiano Ronaldo. And secondly, to give um, support to... Um, a main striker or indeed uh, a new front three because at the moment um, Madrid are, are fairly solid in defence and in, in midfield so it's going to be up front at recruit and at goalkeeper as well. I think, it, I think it's very hard for Paul Pogba to get 
to Madrid because of the cost um, of him as a player um, on, on the top salary at Manchester United. Uh, was the world record transfer fee when United signed him. Um, Ed Woodward has made it clear how important Pogba is to him um, in terms of the way he dealt with the player when he was in conflict with the previous manager and a you know, severe conflict to the point where Pogba was breaking club rules by going into um, post-match uh, interviews and directly um, undermining the manager by talking about the way the team should play uh, and criticising the, the lack of um, attacking play as he saw it. Um, I think, I think uh, there is no doubt that Bogba would like to move elsewhere um, in terms of if he can get himself a better club with, with more chance of winning Champions League and domestic titles, that would suit him. There's no doubt it would suit his agent to, to try and get a deal like this um, going because the, the commission on, on the transfer would be huge. But I think the more realistic outcome is um, if he can get any serious interest from Madrid would be to use that um, to improve his contract at Manchester United, which is uh, will be down to um, two years remaining at the end of this season. So it's getting to that stage where a renewal is realistic. Um, and of course, Mino Raul will be trying to make maximum um, advantage from, from that renewal. Um, I think it's telling, once again, what Paul Pogba is like um, as a player, what you, um, what you bring on uh, your club when you make him central figure of your, um, your rebuild and your attempt to, to rega regain the English title, the, the degree of loyalty that, that is implicit in the way he um, organises himself and his commitment to what he does. And I think, I think um, Willie Gunnar Solskjaer hasn't made many mistakes since he became manager of Man Manchester United, but I, I really do not understand why he chose to make Paul Pogba captain um, of the team in the same season in which he'd been stripped of the captaincy um, in front of uh, the rest of the players for those um, press comments that I, I mentioned earlier. Um, and, you know, stripped of the captaincy in a way that the other players didn't particularly object to. They, they understood the reasons for it because he wasn't acting as a captain. Now, Solskjaer's argument would be that um, Pogba's played very well for him during the period he's been in charge of the club, which is correct. Um, and therefore, you dispense with what had happened in the past. But I think there's a, there's a real naivety about that kind of reasoning because what happened in the past happened. Um, the whole squad that he works with saw what happened. They've seen the way that Pogba has behaved over his three years at the club. They've seen the potential um, for him and for his agent. Remember, who, an agent who last season um, went around the major clubs of Europe, um, including direct rivals Manchester City, offering his player to them uh, because he wasn't because the player wasn't happy with his situation at Manchester United. All of those things are facts and facts that everyone in the football club is aware of. So if you choose to make that man captain again, you better have the expectation that he will give you a response to the captaincy that is um, worthy of it, i.e. he performs as the best player, the most committed player, as a leader on the field that merits being the captain. What did he do in the game when he gets the captaincy back? Probably delivered the worst performance of um, certainly Solskjaer's 
time at the club and one of his worst performances of his entire time at Manchester United. Um, a performance that we've seen far too often from Pogba against difficult opponents. Again, it was obviously going to be a tough match for Manchester United and the, the Wolves are one of the most coherent teams, quite happy to counter-attack, weren't going to play to the way Solskjaer has succeeded against more difficult teams this season, which is to play a counter-attacking style and hit the break. Wolves are too canny to, to, to make themselves susceptible to that. And you end up... End up um, with a poor performance from your captain, tumbling out of the one realistic chance of winning silverware um, this season um, in that first um, half season as a manager. Uh, I don't think it'll make a difference to Solskjaer getting the job full time, but it might make a difference to Solskjaer retaining the job because if Solskjaer had managed to get through that tie, um, he had a very realistic chance of winning the FA Cup. Um, because it would be essentially Manchester City as the, the real strong opposition, um, or the, the, the blue chip opposition, um, potential opposition going to the final. If Solskjaer wins the FA Cup, had won the FA Cup, coming in as a caretaker, um, then in his first chance, proper chance at, at winning silverware, that puts him in a far stronger position down the line in terms of, well, he came in... Um, the, the, the dressing room was a mess. Um, Solskjaer turned it around. He won silverware straight away. If his second season doesn't go to plan, which I, I suspect there's a very good chance it won't for the, the fundamental structural problems that many structural problems Manchester United have and the, the, degree, the squad they have, which is not good enough to win the, the, the Premier League title, um, then the questions will start being asked. And he doesn't. He won't have that insurance policy of I won silverware um, first half season. It will be, yeah, well, he started really well, and the, the the fans liked it, and he got the job. But what's happening this season? Um, he's not not in realistic, a realistic shout of the title, not doing well in the Champions League, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then the questions start being asked, and then um, the potential for the Glazers to say, right, we need to get a top level manager in again. Um, to solve this problem becomes much higher. So these these kind of decisions have repercussions. And as I say, I'm surprised that Solskjaer fell into this mistake so easily because it was an obvious mistake for anyone who who knows what's been going on in that club. Well, I think it's I think it's probably an obvious mistake even for people watching that club from the outside. But the answer, Duncan, may well be in part of what you've said there. Um, he does have two years left in his contract to run after this summer. Um, Solskjaer will be aware of Ed Woodward's um, view that um, Pogba is a big commercial asset to the club uh, in order to keep Pogba happy, in order to enter into um, extension negotiations with him and with Mia Raiola, who we know can be a difficult person to negotiate with. But giving Pogba the captaincy, he is effectively saying... I'm building my team around you. You're the most important player at this club, which, of course, Pogba wants to be. Um, and therefore, I suppose, potentially easing the negotiations between Pogba, Raiola and Manchester United with regards to an extension. Because, as we well know, when you pay that amount of money for a, a footballer, what you don't want is for him to run his contract down and lose him for half the price or less um, or worse for free of a player of Pogba's age. So it may well be the case that this is a kind of tactical move by Solskjaer 
by giving Pogba the captaincy back. I agree with you about his performance against Wolves. It was dreadful. And um, it was something which Solskjaer himself picked up on in when he addressed the dressing room after the game. He actually, uh, I'm told, did refer to certain performances under Jose Mourinho, which were similarly lackadaisical and lacklustre, and as a way of kicking them up the behind. But um, I just wonder if there's a tactical reason, as I said, for the, giving Pogba the captaincy, trying to make him feel more important and more like the most important player in the club in order that um, when they open negotiations potentially in the summer in, in terms of an extension, that that will make it easier. That's a good point. Um, it might be the case, but it is Manchester United falling into that mistake of we have got to look after this player and do everything for him in the hope that he will turn into the player we want to. We want him to. I think you can see from the fundamentals of Paul Pogba that that's unlikely to happen. If you're using that strategy at the moment, if that's what you want to do, keep your best player at the club by making him captain, then the captaincy shouldn't have gone to Paul Pogba, it should have gone to David De Gea. Time for the quick fire round now, and in the spirit of Paul Pogba's comments, we're going to look at players, if there are any in world football, it's going to be up to the guys to, to give them to me, that don't, I repeat, don't want to move to play for Real Madrid. There can't be that many of them. Duncan, do you have a, a name for me? Uh, I've got a good one, uh, Lionel Messi. I think that one should be clear-cut. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Duncan? Think, Why? I don't think we'll see even Lionel Messi's father putting the come-and-get-me post-match press conference interview together with the intention of increasing his salary at Barcelona. That one's just not going to happen. Well, they got Luis Figo. Well, if they threw a pig's head at Luis Figo, what would they throw at Lionel Messi, boys? The whole pig. The and, and a goat. If you threw the whole pig at Lionel Messi, you'd probably kill him. <laughs> Ian? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Mo Salah from Liverpool. Um, I'm not saying he'll never play for Real Madrid because I'm sure he's a player they'd be interested in. But I think after the uh, sort of street-like mugging he um, uh, suffered at the hands of Sergio Ramos in the 2018 Champions League final, I think as long as uh, Sergio Ramos is at the club, Mo Salah might feel a little bit uh, inhibited with regards to joining them. So for me, Salah would be one player who might prefer their um, Catalan rivals to go into Real Madrid. I'm surprised you're getting so many names here. Duncan, you got another one for me? Uh, Jose Mourinho offered the job um, in the, during the, the season as a replacement for Lopetegui um, before Santiago Solaro was, was um, appointed and, and chose not to take it. Um, also had big reservations about taking it this summer um, when Florentino Perez was pursuing him. And uh, and and yet, and remember, Jose Mourinho always says when, when he's talking about his clubs, not that he manages them, that he's played a game or that they've played well. So, yeah, Jose Mourinho is another one that didn't, didn't want to play for Real Madrid. Well, Ian, I thought you would struggle to get two, never mind four. Can you round us off with another one? Um, <clears throat> I'd have to say, I mean, this man calls himself... James Rodriguez, but as a proud Scot, I always call him Jimmy Rodriguez. And the irony with him is he has actually played for Real Madrid and indeed is a Real Madrid player. But um, Florentino Perez, having discovered his most ridiculous mistake of doing that thing where he signed the best player at the World Cup based on five performances, um, had him for a season and sent him out on loan to Real Madrid for two. And even James Rodriguez now is saying, um, I'm not quite happy at Bayern Munich, but I'm not necessarily wanted to go back to Ramos either. So I suspect um, we'll see uh, Jimmy Rodriguez go somewhere else this summer. 
And there's one other player who's um, who doesn't really want to play for Real Madrid, but is actually quite happy to be paid by them, and that's Gareth Bale. Um, much 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 happier playing golf than he is um, actually doing the stuff on the football field. The donkey seven iron strikes again. Honestly, you have to get a new club. It must be, it must it must be absolutely ragged by now. The amount of times you've hit Gareth Bale with it. It's a very soft target, Gareth Bale. <laughs> is it is it beryllium copper that seven iron? <laughs> just one last thing I just wanted to bring up Ian uh, to get your opinion on the Real Betis fans chanting and clapping and mm. sending the their love to Lionel Messi what did you make of that as a, as a hard-nosed Scotsman who loves to wind up the, op- the opposing fans and the opposing team um, that- I think it was merited um, a man like Messi I think transcends certain amounts of club rivalry obviously I don't think you'd get Real Madrid fans clapping him. Um, that, it takes me back to you know the romantic night when Henrik Larsson came on at Parkhead as a substitute for Barcelona and scored in a Champions League game against Celtic and was given a standing ovation by the Celtic fans because some players... Look, obviously Messi's never played for Real Betis, so the, the sort of, you know, analogy is slightly less uh, accurate. But at the same time, I do think that some players do transcend club rivalries. And Messi, and Cristiano Ronaldo for that matter, who's had similar experiences in his career. Um, and I think that's a credit to the fans themselves, that they recognise greatness and that they decide to appreciate it rather than to berate it because it's against their club. Uh, and I, for one, feel like, you know, my faith in, in football fans appreciating football for the game itself rather than for their own club or their own team. Um, is very much um, restored, if not, um, you know, inspired by situations like that. I'd love to have been um, in the Betis Stadium in Seville that night, and I would have been one of the people applauding as well. Yeah, look, I don't have any problem with um, with fans recognising greatness on the pitch. It's something that I think has always happened in football. If you if you see something, um, a spectacular performance or, or a really strong performance from an, an opponent or an opposition team um, doing the unexpected uh, against your side. You don't. I don't think you cheer during the game, um, but after the game, you can you can applaud or give them a standing ovation or whatever. And it's happened down the years, and there's no reason why it shouldn't continue to happen for those exceptional um, performances and moments. I think quite often it's off. It, it's actually um, to give your own team a kick up the arse. Um, after they've been, you know, you, you'll see it when a when an underdog beats um, beats a favourite uh, in a game, um, particularly at their home stadium. You can see the home support boo their boo, the, boo their side for their performance, and then applaud the opponents for for doing what they'd like to see the home side do. So I, I don't think it's an issue at all. Were you tempted to give a standing ovation to that great Roma side in in the eighties who? Beat Dundee United so convincingly in the stadium. Oh, the ducks are out now. The ducks are out. I, I think. I think anyone who's aware of that game and had watched those two games uh, and the context of what happened, would, uh, who was a true football fan, wouldn't have given that Roma side any applause whatsoever. Um, and then subsequently, it was. Uh, it was of course revealed that uh, Roma had bribed the, the referee um, pre-match in order to uh, secure their their. Um, their place in the in the final of the the nineteen 
84 uh, European Cup that should have been Dundee United after their, their performance at Tannadice. So, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think anyone who, and, and you can go and watch it yourself. Um, I, I, would rec I would advise you to watch the first leg because it was one of the um, truly great uh, uh, European performances from the Scottish side. I actually interviewed one of the Roma players um, in Japan probably about two decades afterwards, uh, Toninho Cerezo, the famous uh, Brazil international. And uh, and he was he said, yeah, they were, Dundee United were sensational. Um, we, we were blown away. We didn't expect them to play football like that. And his, his other great memory of the tie was, and at the centre half, um, he didn't have any teeth. I'd never seen that in football field before. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to Paul Hegarty, who uh, who had uh, whose two front teeth were false teeth, and he used to play matches with them missing, and that was the only ugly thing about Paul Hegarty and Dundee United's football in, in that era. Well, I brought that up as a bit of banter, Ian, but I forget that it's an open sore in Duncan's life. Well, I was just wondering how many bribes the referee was actually bribed with. It was a it was a bribe day. <laughs> okay, we're going to call it a day with that. Uh, we'll be back on Monday to fulfill all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. You can contact us via our at Transfer Window account. Or if you want to talk to us individually, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, Ian is at Garbo SG, and Duncan is at Duncan Castles. If you like the podcast, do us a favour, go online, particularly to iTunes, and give us a five-star review, as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Monday, thanks for listening.